0: And we're back on the hunt with Supernatural Season 5, Episode 17, 99 Problems. I'm Chris Barrows.
1: And my name's Dan Cummins. And you know what, Chris? Any other person with a Supernatural rewatch podcast, they might make a Jay-Z joke here. But I'm not going to do that. Not today, buddy. I'm turning over a new leaf. I'm sticking to the script. Uh, Can I just start with this, though, Chris? I will say this. Um, I jumped on Reddit today, as we do. And we ask the people prompts every now and then. If you don't follow us on Reddit or Twitter or if you don't subscribe to the show, please do that. We're trying to engage the entire Supernatural community. I digress, though, Chris. What I asked today was, what are your favorite underrated episodes? Okay? Because when I watch this one, Chris, and let's, let's just go with this, okay? If I put out a list of episodes and I gave you this one, 99 Problems. Would you be able to tell me a single thing about it? No. Prior to My this, no. absolutely right.
0: absolutely not. I I would not have remembered anything about it, and I probably would have made the Jay-Z joke that you did not
1: make. Exactly. Right. So I guess the point I'm trying to make, Chris, is that there are a lot of really like unexpectedly good episodes in this show, some very unassuming, underrated episodes. So anyway, on Reddit, I said, Guys, I just re-watched 99 Problems, and it is unexpectedly good. I don't remember it at all. I don't know it by name, but I watched it. It's only an 8.3 on IMDb, Chris, but I really, really enjoyed it. And so the the responses are flooding in on Reddit right now. By the time this comes out, you'll be able to search that thread and see what else everybody else said. But, but Chris, I got to tell you, man, this one came out of nowhere for me. I, I turned it on not expecting much, but I think this is one of those episodes where the the sum of all of its parts are greater, right? And so like all the things that are going on really like come together at the end to make a really, really good episode. It's a Charles Beeson episode. I shouldn't be that surprised, Chris, but I want to put that at the top here. This is an episode that I was prepared to say, it's a filler, let's cut it. It's not going to be a long episode for us, but here I am telling you to rewatch it. Um, did you enjoy it? What did you think about it? Obviously you don't remember it, but like, what are your general thoughts on it?
0: Well, I remember it now. Let me just say this. I watched it. I do remember it. We're talking about it. I actually really enjoyed this because I enjoyed the uniqueness of the character. And that's what really does it for me when we get into monsters or characters who I didn't expect yeah. or offer some some greater value in that sense. And and for me, this one, it was a really solid episode. I, I'd give it a few more points than than it gets. You know, I, I think it's in a in that mid. range for me if i was to score it myself but it's really interesting we are dealing with uh you know a woman small town who claims to be a prophet in this one and ultimately the monster in this one is the whore of babylon i mean i never expected that to be a monster in this show and i candidly forgot it was a monster in the show. So, yeah, this one was it was enjoyable. I don't know if I liked it as much as you, but it's called underrated, I think, is a fair statement in the sense of I didn't remember it. And now I'm more likely to remember it because I think about it in that kind of context of what stands out to me. I think uh, you might have mentioned someone else. Someone else might have mentioned it, but like there's other ones from like season one that stand out. as just like, oh, that was so good. And I remember that from our season one watch.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there are so many good episodes that kind of get buried, Chris, because in the season, season five, there are a lot of lore episodes, right? This, I think technically you could squeak in there, Chris, but more or less, it's kind of a monster of the week episode for me. Um, but let's talk about the premise a little bit, right? Sam and Dean are running from something. It's one of the very rare cold openings where we're not focusing on the victim. A lot of cold opens in the show, it's, you know, you see two people we haven't met yet slaughtered by a monster, and then after the credits roll, it's Sam and Dean going to investigate that case, right? That's what we're used to, but not this time. This time, it's Sam and Dean running from something, and they're scared, dude. Obviously, they're outnumbered. They're in the car. They can't get out of town. It's demons. They do say that it is demons, um, or so we think, Chris. But they stop the car, and all of a sudden, a giant crowd of hunters shows up. Now I'm going to use the word hunters because technically that's like the closest thing we can call them, Chris, but really they're civilians and there's a large group of them. And these civilians, they save their asses, man. And Sam and Dean are standing around. Like what the hell is going on? Like, are these people hunters? Is this what it's like to have backup? Right. Because the hunter uh, community, Chris, it's a lot of loners. Like, yeah, you have the occasional groups of like three or four friends, but you think about, bobby right you think about rufus like you you think about uh ellen and joe are a very like rare example but even they didn't really work together right as mother and daughter sam and dean being together and hunting things together is kind of rare so when you get a group that's like i don't know maybe it was a dozen people chris it's very confusing but it's really cool isn't it like they have this crazy truck and they have all these like tricks set up I came away from that opening scene like, wow, it would be really cool to have a show that focused on Hunters as a community, you know, kind of like a Last of Us situation. It's a um, it's a
0: foreshadowing to some extent too. what Sam eventually is leading in later yeah, seasons True. Uh, with the with the community that comes from, you know, an alternate universe, ironically. But it, it's one of these things that it is neat to see when there is community, there's brotherhood. There's family in a different way, family, not by blood, uh, but, but family um, from that communal sense of we're in this together. I mean, this one, yeah, that's exactly what it is. They're all members of the, the sacrament Lutheran militia, which is basically gathered in preparation for the apocalypse. So they're in, they know the apocalypse is coming. They're, they're informed. They know bad times are on the way. And they're led by this pastor Gideon and his daughter Leah, who's a who's proclaimed to be a prophet. Little too good to be true. That's that's I think the safe thing to say here.
1: Yeah, it is, Chris, except for the fact that they know Enochian, right? When when they get their asses saved in the beginning, they're like, well, hold on. You guys know Enochian because that's what you know you you used. How do they know that? Right. It's one thing to pretend to be a hunter, but Leah is 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 telling these people things that only the angels know. So it's really hard for Sam and Dean to kind of push them to the side and say, "You guys aren't legit," when they're doing things that you know most people would never know, right? I thought that was really interesting. Um, but yeah, let's talk about the prophet, Chris. For a while here, we're led to believe that she is a prophet, right? It's not till later that we get a reputable source to say she's not a prophet. But let's roll with that. In the very beginning, we think we're getting a prophet. And we learn that she has a vision of demons in town. And this is my favorite part of the episode, Chris, because basically she says, you guys need to go out there and get them. And Sam and Dean are like, yeah, we'll come. We'll check it out with you guys, right? They were pretty impressed with how they got saved in the beginning. They want to see what's really up. So they go to a house, crawling with demons, Chris, and the coolest scene unfolds, man. The action, the shoot on demand, like the, back-to-back destroying demon situation that was going on i thought it was so cool and i think it's sam chris that makes the point to say oh so that's what it's like to have backup like they they get out of that unscathed it was the easiest hunt of their lives despite how many demons were in there and sam's like Man, that was so easy like why can't this be our lives and I, I thought it was really great to see that because we see them struggle a lot but if you put like I don't know, like six or six to eight hunters in a house full of demons
0: kind of easy work. Right. And and it stands out to me because in later seasons, and again, this is a recap podcast. So this is no secret. In later seasons, you have men of letters and other stuff. I found this 10 times more interesting than men of letters with gadgets and other stuff like yeah. this. This was more fun. And, and it, that was a really interesting takeaway because I don't hate the men of letters storyline that eventually happens. But I hate the level of tech to the point that it was too easy. Like, it wasn't so easy that it was like, we're not going to ever lose anybody. You know, and and so there was still a fear. Whereas when you get to those later seasons, you kind of go, "Okay, not that there's a difference here. Um, And and I will say I will say this, uh, this monster that we are dealing with this in this one, as I've already noted, is the Whore of Babylon. So as we talk about this, let, let's first note something that the whore of Babylon uh, is mentioned in the book of revolution Re- revelation. It could not leave hell until Lucifer had broken out of his cage. So that's step one. Its purpose is to harvest and prepare human souls for hell. That's pretty frightening in itself, right? So the whore of Babylon as a, as a concept, it, it has this, this basis that I think is really interesting and maybe and I think, and I and I, and I grew up Catholic. Um, not necessarily claiming to be a practicing Catholic or, or nor a good Catholic, but grew up Catholic. And I remember reading uh, the Book of Revelations as a kid because they 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 didn't have us go through the Bible at some massive scale, but there was a Bible, right? Revelations was like cool to read out of a Bible. Yeah. I, I didn't find anything in the Bible all that interesting, quite frankly, till I got to Revelation. Like, whoa, this is like some dark shit. Yeah. Um, and. I remember reading it in a vastly a very different way than I think they wanted me reading it. But Revelations was interesting. So the fact that this came from Revelations, like you're talking about one of the most interesting chapters, I think, to just if you would ever scan it, like it's really fascinating. Some of the things that they talk about when they talk about the end of times or those sort of things within the Bible. So um, it jumped out to me when I was reading that note in particular, just because It's a very different uh, book than many of the other ones within the Bible. And I don't claim to be a Bible expert. I'm sure we could look up more there. Whore Babylon, though. Powers and abilities. We got to hit them. Demonic control. It has power over the will of demons. And that's what essentially is happening from a prediction perspective. It it knows exactly where they're going to be. Right? Nokian spells. Understanding and being fluent. Well, I should say semi-fluent in it. It's a big deal. And we've got some of the normal ones, Dan, invulnerability, shape shifting, telepathy, telepathy, and telekinesis. Now, weakness, angels, crucifix, and crosses, they go briefly show their true face. And so, again, we've talked about avoiding mirrors. Well, avoiding crucifix, if you're trying to, you know, hole up with a bunch of homies from the church, not going to work so well because there's probably crucifix around. And then a stake of cypress tree from Babylon, <laughs> so that's a little bit um, of, of a distinct weakness that may not be as easy to to obtain.
1: No, it's not unless you have a friend that's an angel, Chris. Uh, and lucky for Sam and Dean, they do. And can we talk about Castiel for a minute because he is not present for most of the episode, Chris, and then he kind of appears because you know we can kind of skip over the. The most of the plot, right? We've rewatched this episode. Something's wrong. Sam goes to the bar, talks to the barman. The barman says, this whole town is crazy. I don't, you know, really believe Leia. I'm going to drink. I'm going to do whatever I want, right? But it turns out that Leia is getting intel from the angels to say, the angels are saying, you guys need to be, you know, as um, best behavior as possible. No drinking, no sex, right? But this barman's like, screw that. I'm not going to do that. Leia is really pissed about that. He ends up getting shot, right? So the whole thing is kind of up in the air, Chris. So Sam and Dean are, they understand that something's wrong at this point. And Castiel shows up and he's hammered. And I think it's so funny, Chris, because just this season, he like drank alcohol for the first time. Like he, he went to a strip club with Dean for the first time, right? Like we, we started, we started with Castiel in a barn saying, you know, like, I am this big, bad angel. Like, I raised you from perdition, right? But now we have an angel who's getting hammered because his daddy left, right? Like, God's nowhere to be found. I just love that moment for Castiel because I think I said it a couple episodes ago, Chris. I love this version of Cass where he shows up just when we need him to. He's not in every episode. He doesn't have to carry full storylines. He's used sparingly. And I think that is really, like, when he's used best. But anyway, Castiel shows up and he's basically, he's, he, I mean, he's, he's pathetic. Like Chris, all of our heroes right now are in an existential crisis. It is so funny where we're at with this show. Dean is broken. As we've said, Sam is considering saying yes to Lucifer and Castiel is beat down because he just realized that God wants nothing to do with the apocalypse. Like all three of our heroes are in a terrible spot. So, The fact that Castiel's even showing up, I think is pretty lucky for Sam and Dean, but he sits them down and he says, what's the problem? And Dean says, we're here with, you know, a prophet. And he says her name and he says, no, she's not a prophet. And Dean's like, no, like she's doing all the things, right? She has headaches. She's like making these predictions. And Castiel goes, no, you don't understand. I have every single name of any prophet that's ever lived or will live burned into my brain. This girl, uh, Gideon, Leah, she is not a prophet. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever, Chris, to have like that inside of Castiel because you would expect that an angel has that sort of information in their DNA, right? So Castiel really is like a pivotal point in the plot moving forward, but I also wanted to highlight that Castiel is in a really bad spot, man. This dude is day drinking like it's like there's no tomorrow, literally. We're we're
0: also basically at the, a little past the halfway mark as we're talking here, right? We've, we've talked, we're, we're near the end. And you see the arc that he's gone on, it's really neat. And you know they're going to pull it together, right? They're going to pull together do what they have to do to, to beat the devil. But, uh, you know, beating Lucifer is not that simple, and there's still a long way from being able to do it. So I think it is awesome. And that revelation that oh man, uh yeah, by the way, this is the Whore of Babylon. It's not Leah. That's so oh, such a, a great kind of moment to have and then to say, all right, Pastor Gideon, you got to kill her because you're a servant of heaven. And he's not able to do that. I mean, he's going to fail miserably at this. He can't do it. Right. Uh, ultimately, it's Dean who has to do this. And and ultimately, that's how this this goes. Dean succeeds. But it, it, it's heartbreaking. And it's, again, in its own way, when you see people. You know, taking someone's life, right, and then living it for them and tricking everyone around them, um, and the boys, honestly, probably a little disappointed too, because man, this was a good gig. Like, could take these people could help out. Like, there was there was so much potential there, and they they saw what it's like when you have help, as you noted. So, yeah. I, I mean, it's disappointing on many levels in terms of the end result here. They do succeed, however, the whore of Babylon is killed. But there's some fallout from this, and I think it's important to get into the fallout. Dean is down. Sam thinks that Dean's going to say yes to Michael. Dean thinks Sam's going to say yes to Mike uh, to to Lucifer. Right. So they're both on polar opposites. Castiel's drunk. So we've hit pivotal points. Yeah, At the end of this episode it sets up something really important, Dan. Because Dean goes and visits Lisa. He says the apocalypse is coming, but he's going to do whatever he can do to keep them safe. And we've talked about this before. Dean's going to keep the people around him safe. He's going to make decisions based on a select group of people, not the greater whole. And it it is one of their greatest weaknesses. It's not that they don't want to save the world, but he is concerned and will do anything to protect her, his brother. I, I mean, that's where he's at um i'd argue he might be more willing to protect her at this point than sam because he pr- he pretty much thinks sam's so just going to do this anyways um but protecting her i love what it does because if you think about this at the time it gives you a tease that man i can really protect her if i let michael take over because he can get this done and it does tease that so from a mythology perspective it is important because I think it gets that concept in your head, especially on a first watch.
1: Yeah. And you know, Chris, that's so true. That's definitely where Dean is right now. He doesn't care about the rest of the world. He just thinks that he can protect a few people because that's basically what Zachariah told him, right? Like, If you say yes, we'll let the people that you want to have whatever a normal life is after that, Chris. They haven't exactly you know, uh, ironed out the details there, but you're right. I, th- I think like... Dean doesn't really care to save the town or the world because like we said, he's broken. He doesn't feel like there is any hope. You're right. He thinks Sam is going to say yes to Lucifer. His best friend, the angel is now a day drinker who, you know, can't even beat the whore of Babylon despite being an angel. I mean, Dean really is in a bad spot. I really like that closing dialogue with Lisa because it it really shows me who Dean is. Chris, he, he, he says to her, he says, you know, I, I'm a hunter and I, I chose this life and I know how that's going to go, right? He, he opens it up point blank. Like, I'm a hunter. I know how I'm going to die. I'm fine with that. And I think to the finale, Chris, of people like, oh, you know, this and that. Dean deserved to to go a different way. I'm not going to spoil it for anybody that if you haven't seen the end of Supernatural. What are you doing? But I digress. The fact that Dean is on her front porch saying, Something bad's gonna happen, but when I picture myself happy, it's with you and the kid. I mean, it. Uh, how do you not feel for Dean at this time? Like this is really this isn't Dean being realistic, Chris. I think this is Dean being romantic about what his life could have been because he's on the chopping block, right? When you're in your last moments, you're not being realistic. You're thinking about your regrets and what you could have done with your life. So I don't think he's speaking from like a a place of truth. I think he's speaking from a, a point of what maybe his life could have been if he didn't take certain steps. Uh, But that's beside the point. He shows up to Lisa's house and it's really touching. And it brings me back to you and and me talking about Ben, Chris. And I was on Reddit the other day and someone had a thread like, Ben is definitely Dean's kid, right? And I had to chime in, of course. And I said, he's 100% Dean's kid. I don't care what the lore is. Lisa had a really bad excuse. I think, what did she say? Like she took a blood test or something. uh, Um,
0: We never see the actual results yeah. he said don't worry it's not yours yeah like it, she's kind of like. No. I, I don't buy it either i i feel like i, I there's there's just no way yeah <laughs> i'm kind of with you there i'm sure someone could argue with us on that but I, yeah this is again i think it's a very underrated episode i will remember it now and, and that's one of the cool things i found from this rewatch and yeah talking through it a little bit more is i'm picking up on episodes that, that have stood out. I saw, as an example, even on that Reddit thread, by the way, um, someone agreeing about Dead in the Water, season one, episode three being an underrated episode. So there's these episodes that jump out, and I love that Dead in the Water. What a, I, And I visually remember that now. Like, I, I remember that episode and just how it was, it was sad. Um, it was sad, but it was a yeah. haunting episode. And so episodes like this can stand out in a big way. This is sad on a lot of levels from Dean's admittance to the fact that they don't get like the support normally. Uh, and it's also just cool, again, to watch them go through and fight in that house. And like I said, I made the comparison to Men of Letters because I think it's comparable. There's too good and there's just enough. This was just enough. This is the perfect level. Um, but we are continuing to work our way towards the end, Dan. And before we end this episode, a few notes that I want to put out there. So the name of this episode reflects that it was the 99th episode of the show. It's not our 99th episode because we've done some specials and other things, but um, this is the 99th of the show and the preacher's family named Gideon. uh, I didn't know this, but Gideon's International is a large distributor of Bibles. So kind of appropriate. It makes sense. Uh, Really ultimately, though, great episode. I am with you. Very memorable to me now. Um, But I think it needs a little bit of that diagnosis or that, you know, that overview that we've had here, maybe to make it really hit just how good this episode is.
1: Totally. Yeah. And that's why we rewatch the show, Chris. We break down every episode, uh, the quotes, the trivia, you know, the, the actual plot. What do these different beats mean for each character? Right. If you're not subscribed to the show, please do. We're we're taking all the details out of every episode, an episode that maybe you thought wasn't so good but you hear it being broke down and maybe you appreciate it a little bit more. That's what I take out of the show. Chris rewatching all these episodes that maybe I didn't really remember or think were uh, of value, but now I do, I can appreciate these small things, but um, next week, Chris, we have a big episode. We're not dealing with a filler uh, anymore. This episode is called the point of no return. And we get back to Zachariah and Zachariah is not happy Uh, we haven't seen him since heaven i believe so it'll be interesting to see what he has in store for us uh but yeah looking forward to that uh next week again if you uh are interested in this stuff follow us on twitter follow us on reddit i'm over there uh hopefully driving some interesting conversations come join us
0: yeah and on that note everyone i think it's fair to say that that is it for this week but we will be back because after all
1: We've got work to do.